Hello and welcome everybody to the Cole Banker commercial What Loser Conversation. This will be, this is part two of a three-part series, digging into women and investing in commercial real estate. What Moves Her is a trailblazing campaign that supports the growth of women in real estate. And for Coal Banker Commercial, it will focus on elevating careers, empowering the community, and supporting the success of women within the network. My name is Christina Ballas, I'm the National Director of Strategic Implementation for CBC, and I will be your host today. We are thrilled to be joined by a powerhouse force in the commercial real estate industry, Dilly Becker. Dilly is the founder and broker of Beckreet Commercial Real Estate and Beckreet Asset Management. In addition, Dilly owns Beckreet and Sons Limited, a company that is a heavy civil contractor focusing on Texas DOT road and bridge repair and has successfully been in business for 23 years. I know she doesn't look like she could be in anything for that long, but yes, for 23 years, she's been in this business. Her boots on the ground experience is shared with all the brokers at Beckreet, making the team ideal to work with in the sales purchase of property, specifically specializing in East in the East Austin area. Some of her projects focus on buying commercial properties that are income producing or that need to be gutted, rehabbed, repositioned in the market. And this strategically leverages all three of her companies very smartly. As broker and developer, Dali utilizes her knowledge of Austin real estate and the city of Austin development and planning departments with her network of lenders, investors, architects, engineers, inspectors, appraisers, attorneys, CPAs, and contractors to, to supply her clients with a wealth of information concerning their commercial space and investment property endeavors. All these professional accomplishments have led her to investing in commercial real estate herself. And she is a very loud champion in this regard. She is here with us today to talk about the differences in investment style and risk-taking in women with specific attention to the commercial real estate space. So welcome, Dali. I am so excited to jump into this conversation with you. Thank you. I am excited as well to spend an hour with you. Uh, we've spent time together back in March for Women's Day. It was amazing, and I consider you a good, dear friend. Absolutely. Um, I would love to introduce how we got to know each other a little bit. So um, Dali and I met each other through OTSO that runs a influential women in commercial real estate group. And so um, you have to uh, kind of be be submitted for approval to be on that list, on this women's list of influential women. And um, her and I were on, I think, on the same year. And so we got together as a group. And it is all about women lifting each other up, being really transparent about how to make money in the industry. And that has really prompted us to talking about why more women don't invest in commercial real estate. And and honestly, my conversations with Dali is what prompted most of this series in talking to, to Robin Hendricks, who runs What Moves Her, and just thinking about where are the gaps and then how can we see it to then do it and learn from each other in a really transparent, clear way where you can ask questions in a safe place and just like really dig into how to invest money in commercial real estate. So Dali, that was a little recap, but I mean, that's that's really what kicked this all off. Absolutely. And that is what I am here to talk about. So you tell me where to start. Why don't we start with you telling us a little bit about your career, how you got into commercial real estate? Because my understanding is this was not something that was passed down to you from, you know, lineage. And so why don't you talk about how you even got into this industry? I am happy to. So number one, I did not know that commercial real estate was a career or a thing whenever I went to college. 
Um, I did go and graduate from the University of Texas here in Austin, Texas, good morning. And I got a degree in kinesiology. I actually enjoyed my classes. I have never used that degree to this day. Um, I met my husband whenever I was finishing my second senior year there. And I was 22, he was 36. And uh, we were a perfect match for many reasons. Uh, it would take too long to describe, but we did celebrate 19 years married um, this week on Tuesday. So he uh, graduated from the University of Texas in the 80s with a civil construction degree, and he went straight to work doing federal work and large projects in the Northeast. So his background is varied, but mostly in large civil construction projects. Uh, whenever I met him, he was developing multifamily projects. Then he switched and, well, I met him at the tail end of that. He had just formed Beckerite and Sons with Norman Reitmeyer. So Beck is Becker plus Reitmeyer. It's a very Texas thing to do, if not the United States. Um, construction companies are named after their founders. So they started doing underground boring and tunneling. We got married. I went and did international meeting planning um, for my sister-in-law. She started a company that still runs today, our events. Did that, enjoyed it, great uh, traveling around the world. And in 2006, I had my son, which shut down all international travel. And for a couple of years, really what I did was accounting, bookkeeping, legal stuff, all of our taxes, et cetera, for the construction company. And my husband kept hassling me to get my real estate license. We were in the middle of a 40 lot subdivision, a sub zero, sub net, potentially net zero um, subdivision in East Austin, first one in Texas and the Great Recession. So we were 24 houses in and we needed to get through enough to pay off that development loan, <clears throat> which we did, I want to say 2011. In that time, I got my license and uh, I had no intention of doing residential because that um, development that we had to get through, I did a lot of the, the contracts and the closings, et cetera. I had to do walkthroughs because my husband refused to and he had switched to doing Text Road and Bridge Repair. So I did that, but I did not enjoy it. And when I got my license in 2012, uh, there was a woman in the class. Yes, a woman that uh, saw the chip on my shoulder and said, you should not do residential, you would be terrible. At that time, we owned three buildings and so we'd started buying buildings. The first one I am sitting in, we bought this in 2006. We are three blocks to downtown here in East Austin. Everybody thought we were crazy. Uh, they think that we are brilliant now. But the reality was when we bought it, we gutted it and redid it. And we put our offices in here there. We couldn't rent it out. So it wasn't an investment property for probably seven years. Um, so I got my license. My intent was only to do buy investment properties for Beckright, my construction company. And a woman came to me and my first two clients were women and both of them needed development projects. And so I, I come from the world of development. I said, I can help you find land. And that's what we did. They both successfully closed one within the year. She got a heck of a deal. The other one, I think like three years later, which made me decide land development isn't really my favorite thing because I don't like the long tail. It, mm -hmm. it takes a long time. 
So for the purposes of this conversation, here's what I did. I got my license, okay? I'm a nerd. I want to know everything. I want to know everything. So one of the things I did, and this is a tip to everybody out there, every day I would sit and look at LoopNet. I'd look at everything for sell. I'd look at everything for lease. I made a huge spreadsheet that I have to this day, and I would watch things and see if they moved. So in 2014, this building that we were sitting in, um, I came to my husband and one of our partners and I said, guys, I can lease this out for $14 a square foot. And they looked at me and said, you're insane. And I said, I'm not. I've done the research. I've been studying this market. I can lease it out for $14 a square foot. And they said, Dilly, if you can do that, we'll move out. And I said, okay. And I had it leased within four months. Wow. Four months. So the significant thing that I've done is I've taken what I've got and then used it. And then that's how I've just built up my knowledge and, and that. And I just study the market because at the end of the day, it's my money. Like I care a whole lot if I'm wrong or if I make a mistake that costs us a bunch of money. I'd say half of our buildings we have partners on. I don't want to cost them money. I mean, that's just a mess that I then have to go deal with. So I really do. I'm very driven to be right. And I know this about women. We all are because we have to be right. Um, men in our industry can afford to be wrong a little bit more than we can. And so it works really well in our nature. If you are driven and you're in commercial real estate, you are you are really studying and working hard to be right which makes us the best investors, the best. So that is, that's the story of how I got into commercial real estate. It was, a, you know, a weird way. Um, but my husband told me many years ago, you use what you've got, you pick your lane and you stay in it. And mm. that is what I've done. Cause even I see flashy things come by. Like right now I've got an opportunity on a 30,000 square foot office building. It's not in my lane though. Right? Can I do it? Probably. Should I? I don't know. So I'm I'm really sitting back and thinking about it. That's a really good point. That you know, uh, you besides the studying part, it's it's you built the confidence in yourself. What made you? What what gave you the almost like the guts to take that first step and say, you know what? I can do this. I can I can lease this space for fourteen dollars a square foot. Like, is it just because you had so much confidence in your data? You're like, I've studied it. I know it. There is nobody that can tell me otherwise because this is like fact. That was that. I mean, it really was. I don't know anybody else that has a spreadsheet and data like I do. I save every flyer still to this day. So I I I that's the confidence I had. Now, would I have had that confidence to just go up to another building owner and do it? Probably not. But since I owned it, mm. you know, the mistake would fall on me and I wasn't wrong. I wasn't yeah. wrong. And, and since then, I do little things that build up my confidence. I mean, that's that's really what we do, even in our careers. So we have to take what we know in our careers, which is a whole lot, and then start applying it. And one of the ways you get over the fear is you get all the data that you can and just go do a deal. I always tell people this, this is you know the 30,000 foot office that I have an opportunity on. I don't swing for home runs ever. I'm just get on base, I just get on base just a little bit. 
because we're all in commercial real estate with the intent we're going to be in it 30 to 40 to 50 years right i heard a broker say oh all these old brokers are going to get tired and they're going to retire out i think most all the older commercial brokers i know are going to die at their desk because this is something you can do that's totally accurate you can do it in your 80s you can do it in your 90s maybe not 80 hours a week but you can do it 20 hours a week you build up you know if you've got investment properties that's huge you know how to lease them you know how to manage them because you've been doing it for decades why would you stop Mm. sure why stop um do you is there a difference in the way you handle investing your personal uh your your personal investments versus how you go to market for your clients or what you offer them or how you approach things or is it the same approach so that is my secret sauce i work with clients that are basically in my league if you will i generally buy one to five million building one to five million buildings they are generally one thousand square feet to ten thousand square feet they are generally office and retail and they are in texas okay so my clients don't usually come to me and say i need to buy a thirty thousand square foot building Mm. the ones coming to me and saying i need seven thousand square feet for my office yep so i tell them what to do that is also my style and it takes a particular client to be fine with that and those are the only clients i want i'm going to tell you what to do you're going to sit back I will ask you for information. You will get it to me. This is not a two-way street. You, do, I'm not here to teach you. Because mm. I have potential clients come in. Well, I just want to learn how to do this. I'm not a consultant. That, yes. That's going to slow me down. So I can very truthfully say to all of my clients that are buying something, I would buy this. Mm. I would do this. So one of my clients last year was two years ago that he came to me. He was a past client, had bought an investment property in Lockhart, Texas. And he said, Delee, I need to lease space for my veterinarian surgical center. And I said, well, that's really cute. You do not lease space for that. You buy it. And he said, well, I don't know where to buy it. And I said, yeah, it's going to be hard. It's going to be very, very hard. So he got a lender lined up, all of that. We started looking um, and we had two things in our uh, contract land for development and then we found a retail building that had to be redeveloped but he's going to put in all the money that he would put into a lease space mm. right so like you buy this it's going to be very hard i connected him with the architect that was the right one to use the gc that was the right one to use the engineers that were the right ones to use uh the mediator to deal with the city <laughs> that was the right one to use and and I know all those things because that's what I do. So really, I, I take clients that are doing what I do because that's the best way I can um, assist them. Yep. Assist them. Yeah. How do you differentiate when you have a, a property of whether or not you want to keep it for yourself or if you want to give it to a client? Okay, so that's very interesting because it's happened twice. Well. It's probably not true. There's probably, oh gosh, no, there's several. Um, if I've sent it to the client and they've already seen it and I've said, okay, I, here's this, here's this uh, fast food service uh, restaurant in Lockhart and 
because it's exactly what he was looking for. And I told him he was in my office. I said, I'm going to write a contract on this property today. It's going to have my name or your name on it. Do you want it? He asked me that question. Why would you let me have it if you would buy it? And I said, because I already sent it in your email. So I have proposed it. If you want to buy it, you can buy it. So he did. It's a really good property. Um, same thing happened on another property two years ago. Um, and my client, long story, did not end up buying it, but they backed out two hours before closing. And I mean, and I said it truthfully, I'm going to write a contract on this today. It's going to have my name on it or your name on it. It was a better fit for them. So that's kind of why. Now, today, I've got a Dollar General sitting in my email. And it's 2.4 million. And I have a new client that needs, that is in the middle of a 1031, has 18 days to identify, which is not enough time. Hmm. And I was looking at buying it. I was actually looking at buying it, putting it under contract and sending it to the power beacons. So right now I'm torn. I have not sent it to that client yet. So by the end of the day, I'm going to try to decide, do I send it to her? I pass on it. And if I do and she buys it, then hallelujah. Because part of this is it's just fun to buy stuff. So even if I'm not the buyer and I and they go get an amazing property that, you know, a year or 10 years later, they're like, oh, my gosh, thank you. I mean, it's almost as good as owning it. <laughs> I love that. It is fun buying stuff. I think that's a really great, uh, you know, just to connect with our last call with Beth Azor. I know you know her well. Mm -hmm. She was saying when she started out in the industry, she would use her commissions for toys, let's say, cars, vacations, whatever. And she had a, a buddy of hers that just kind of shook her and said, what are you doing? Like, you got to buy, you got to invest. You can't just like keep buying the fun toys. So I think it's fun to put that desire to kind of reward yourself into your own industry that'll pay you back as opposed to just the fun toys. So that's like a, a nice way to put it. It is fun to buy stuff. It's really fun to probably buy a building instead of a car. <laughs> Way more fun. And so we'll tag on to that because this is this is my recommendation. All of us or a lot of us like to online shop. I know some people do it as a stress reliever. Do not go to a website where you buy clothes, purses, shoes, etc. Go to LootNet. Spend your time shopping on LootNet every day. That's what you do and you become an expert in that market. Ideally, your market. I say it's always easier to understand your market where you live because you're driving the streets every day. You have boots on the ground knowledge. You hear what's being said. You see if the restaurants are busy. You see where the demographic is moving over time. Know your market because if something comes up and it pops up on Luton and you're looking every day, you will know if it's good. I mean, almost everything I've bought, when it came up in my email, I was like, I'm buying this I'm, and I knew now then I go through all the due diligence. So I say, okay, I love it. But then I try to prove myself wrong, right? Is the roof good? Is the drainage this, the, that, where's the demographic? Um, I do not buy buildings that have a tenant that is paying more than market rent. Okay. Okay. I don't pay. Yeah. So we finished at 1031, but one of the buildings I looked at had a retailer in it that's expanding across the U.S. 
and it was a new building. So I liked the new building, double drive through in Dallas, hit all of the things that I liked. Then I got the lease. I looked through it. I take the per square foot. I take how much they're paying in rent and how many square feet the building is. 700 square feet, 700. They were paying $200 a square foot. Huh. If they leave, I can't retain mm-hmm. that. So mm-hmm. that was an immediate no, right? So I like to buy. My latest acquisition is on South Lamar, and it is a primo location, right? To date, it's probably my very best purchase, except for this building. I do love the building I'm in. Um, it's on South Lamar. Market rent is forty to sixty dollars a square foot, and the tenant is paying fourteen. Wow. Yeah. So, and if they take all their extensions, they will stay for eleven years, which is fine with me, because in year eight of the next eleven, I will start the development process, entitling it, everything. So, whenever their lease ends, I tear down the whole building and I go up five stories. Wow. That's yeah. amazing. What a great plan. It's It was amazing. And that was a phone call from a broker in Michigan called me and he's, he, he was calling me about another one, the one I'm thinking about sending to my 1031 buyer. And I got to talking to him and he said, Delia, I, I've got the perfect thing for you. And I was like, well, what do you have? So he gave me a description. I did not know the address. And I said, yep, yep, I'm 99% buying that. Send it. So That's amazing. Fell in love, did a lot of due diligence, (laughs) and then we closed two weeks ago. Tell me about what happens when you fall in love and you prove yourself wrong. Has that happened? I assume yes. And Mm -hmm. how do you kind of deal with that? Well, the one in Dallas that was $200 a square foot, uh, that was a big one. I don't know if I've fallen in love and then proved myself wrong, but I have found something better. Mm. That has happened. Well. I will. Okay. So boots on the ground is something I live and die by. Okay. My husband and I spend a lot of time driving around to be clear. My husband uh, tears down or um, refurbishes bridges across the state of Texas. So he's on the road a lot. He's, you know, 50,000 miles a year. So he's all over the state. So he is my boots on the ground. Uh, I had a dollar general under contract in Houston and it had a lot of opportunity. And I'm like, this is good. And I, I was pretty much in love with it. And I had it under contract. So my husband was like, we've got to get down there. But I was leaving for the CREI summit in New Orleans. And so he went for me. Bless his heart. He gets there. He, he's driving the whole area. And we're on the phone for two hours. And what we found there was if you go to the west of the property, the Dollar General, everything was good. Good. Like within half a mile, huge super Walmart with Chick-fil-A and Raising Canes and all these things that if you looked on a map, you would have said, this is it. I Mm. love it and I'm buying it. But he, we drive the whole area. So he drives the whole area and he goes to the east, the opposite direction. 90% 90% vacant, all the buildings, wow. which you wouldn't know if you didn't drive it. You're not mm. going to see it on LoopNet, et cetera. So we start to say, man, this is very risky. 
Dollar General had five years total. That was a good thing. I liked that. Mm. But because I thought I'd have leverage to, they would want to stay and I'd raise their rent. That was my whole game plan. Now, the only way I'd have that leverage is if I had other tenants willing to take the space. Because I could, Dollar General would say, sure, we'll stay. We want our same rent. And I'd say, no, I want more. And they'd say, no. But in my world, I like to say, well, that's fine. I got three other people lined up. That's how you get a tenant to go, well, I mean, we don't want to lose the space. Well, I mean, you don't want to lose it. Let's negotiate. But if there's 90% vacancy, you know, all the way down the street to the, the other side, man, they can go a lot of places. Yeah. I lose all of my leverage. And then I have a, it's a good building. The building is good. It's a metal building. It's on a concrete parking lot. All of that's good. But it's 6,000 square feet, which is hard to A, retenant. Mm-hmm. And B, split up space. Mm-hmm. So I do love buildings. If I bought a 10,000 foot building that I know I can go, you know, chop up into 1,500 square feet spaces and lease them, I know I can do that. But it was a quirky building. It had a lot of risk. And we decided to cancel our contract. That is such a helpful story to hear, honestly, Delay, because um, I think it's I think when we get to the place, well, I don't know, I can speak for myself, right? Like when you invest so much of your thought and time, et cetera, you almost want to wish it to fruition. You know, you're like, I'm going to like I'm gonna, I worked so hard I can make it happen. And you're like, well, you still need to have your sense about if it's a bad idea, you got to just walk away. And I think sometimes when we get so invested, it gets hard to do that. But it's important. It's absolutely important. It's very important, and I tell everybody, so that, that's a 1031 that I just completed. I'm in another 1031. Um, for every 1031 I do. I was hoping you were going to talk about our 1031s I conversation. Have yes. I have a machine, and it is a lot of work, but it does not fail me because numbers work. So if I have my upleg, it's the, the building that you're selling is called an upleg, and it is. What I do, let's say it's a 30 and 30, 30 day feasibility, 30 day close on that up leg. After the 30 day feasibility, when their earnest money has gone hard, I turn on my machine and my machine is this simple. I look at a thousand buildings, I write 30 contracts, I get three, three under contract before that up leg closes. Before the up leg closes. It's a lot of work. So, but what happens is my up leg closes. Now I've got 45 days to identify, but I'm not worried about it because I've already got my three. I just have to figure out which one I love more. That's it. Versus a lot of people will wait till their up leg closes, then they have 45 days. You're going to end up buying something. Maybe you'll get lucky and it's really good, but you might get forced into buying something that's not that great, or you just have a failed 1031 exchange. Yeah. And the way that I explain this very simply to everybody, this is why you do a 1031 exchange. If you have a million gain, our capital gains now is 20%. You want to write a check to the government for $200,000. Okay. Actually calculates out more depending on your bracket, your, your tax bracket. But let's just keep it simple. I don't want to give the government their $200,000 if I can use it. I get to take that $200,000 tax-free and put it in another building. Now, if you sell a $2 million bill, or you know, if you have a $2 million gain, 
say $400,000 is what you get to use of the government's money. The government's money. Is it hard? Yes. But are we in an industry? You and I are in an industry where we have a leg up over everybody else. Yeah. So that alone, I would say, should not encourage us. And I have heard this a lot. I've heard it from our Power Beacon group. I was with Beth Azor and a bunch of women. There is a, you know, I mean, people say, women say it out loud. I'm fearful. I don't know, et cetera, et cetera. But you do know so much. There's so much you know that you can use that, tell yourself, I know this. I know this that other people don't know. Again, if you're watching boots on the ground in your market, you know if a big player is coming to town. Mm. Right? So Tesla comes to Austin. The rest of the world is like, oh, my gosh, Tesla's in Austin. Yes, it is. Yes, it's very exciting. But technically, he's east of Austin. He's not in Austin. I mean, he's in the central Texas. Absolutely. Um, but he's going to go build everything that he needs out in Elonville. So it's going to help Austin, but not as if he's moving into downtown Austin. But if you're not in Austin and know that and drive by his gigafactory, know where it's at, no land prices, watching them go up, et cetera, et cetera. Is the land worth that? Well, a lot of out-of-town buyers think so, but not as many Austin buyers do. Mm. Such a good point. I, I want you to talk to us about your strategy with 1031 and 2 that you and I talked about with making sure uh, when you, I forget, I forget the exact um, conversation you and I had, but it was about rolling your projects into it, not just the benefit of a 1031, but kind of your way of handling that with, I think it was partnerships or I had, I had some note that I really wanted to dig into that. So, okay. Okay. Yes. You want to know what I was saying that I want all of us power beacons to go do. And, and I extend this to all women in commercial real estate. Now I am not saying that I'm leaving out uh, women that are not, that are not in commercial real estate but the biggest risk in buying commercial real estate, developing for sure, is the variables you cannot control. So if I'm a woman that is an amazing widget maker, I make widgets, then I'm amazing at it. And I've, made, I've made a lot of money um, doing widgets. I go out to buy an investment property. I can't control any variables. I, I'm at uh, the whim of and the expertise of my commercial broker. You know, if I choose to lead to buy it, who's going to lease it? Who's going to manage it? Who's going to figure out all the bookkeeping, the accounting, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All those variables they have zero control over and not a lot of knowledge. Now, hopefully they go find an amazing broker like you, um, so many women at the Coldwell Banker, commercial, right, and men too. Um, but I will preface that I know a whole lot of brokers that are in this for the commission and they'll lead their client down the wrong path because A, they don't care. B, they don't know better. So they'll mm -hmm. say, you should buy this. This is great. It's it's in Austin, but, you know, Elon's moved there. But the person overpays. They don't know any better. It's vacant. They can't get at lease. The roof is failing. Where do you get a roofer? Etc. Etc. So, 
my the way that I do all of my buildings, if I have a partner, is we will form one LLC to buy that building. Okay. Now, let's say we own the building for five years. <clears throat> I have a price on every building I own. And if somebody offers it, I sell. It's a very mm. simple rule. So I don't have to think about it. It's like they've offered me five million. That's what I've had my price at for 20 years. I mean, usually my price goes up depending. Yeah. So we somebody says we want to we, we want to buy this delay for five million. And I say, oh, my God, that's the magic price. So I will call my partner and I will say, do you want to 1031 forward with me? They might say, no, you know what? Um, I am now 65 and I'm ready to be a snowbird. I want to take that money and buy something in Florida so I don't have to sit in Chicago year round. And I'm going to say, fantastic. So what I do, it's, it's done by an attorney, is you drop down the title from the one LLC to a tenants in common. So... Uh, it would be, we drop it down from Power Beacons LLC to Christina and Delee LLC. Then whenever we close at the closing table, we each go into a 1031 exchange. You can go wherever you want to go without me. Mm. I go wherever I want to go without you. And you get to use the government money to buy the place in Florida. Hallelujah. Right? That's so that is my big thing that I do. It's why I don't do syndications. Mm. So with syndications, um, Delee Syndicator would find a 30,000 square foot office building in East Austin for $25 million, And I would put together a bunch of investors and I would say, y'all are all LPs. I'm the GP. Y'all are the LPs. LPs can't 1031 out. Because it's almost as if like holding a stock. It's like they're really not on title. So we sell $25 million building for $35 million, And we have a $10 million gain. And that would be $2 million we owe the government. We all have to pay it. Yeah. We all have to pay it. Whereas if it's two partners, we drop down, maybe there's four. I haven't figured out how many I could actually do. Then we can all go our separate ways because $2 million, that alone would buy another building. Why give it to the government? Yep. Other than there's, there's two reasons. People say 1031ing is too hard. And the other reason I'm not opposed to syndications as a vehicle, and I encourage anybody on here, um, if you have an opportunity to do a syndication, I think it's valuable, number one, because you do get in on a deal, and they're going to send you monthly reports or quarterly reports. Study them like your life depends on it. Learn the numbers, figure out how that all works, so that whenever you go buy your own building, you already understand something. So mm. if, if I were going to do a syndication, I would have done it a long time ago and I would have done one. Interesting. I like that plan. That makes it, well, I like that plan because I tend to be methodical, right? Like, and I, I like to th see things in steps. So you're like, okay, I haven't invested in commercial real estate yet. What's a path that challenges me, but isn't so risky that I'm like, probably not going to do it. <laughs> like, I know myself. <laughs> 
Well, and that's why, so I do adore Beth Azor. She knows that. And I, of course, listened to your session number one, and she's a huge advocate for syndications. Yep. So for everybody on this call, if it is something that you're interested in, reach out to Beth. She knows people doing syndications. She is doing syndications herself. Great way to get started. It is phenomenal. So I do not ever downplay it, except for at the end of the day, I'm not paying capital gains because I don't have to. I've got a brain on my shoulders. And I always pray before I do these things, God, let me say something that helps somebody here. So this doesn't work for you. That's fine. It wasn't meant for you. What I know for sure is it's a blessing and God could take it away, but till he doesn't, I'm going to use it and I'm going to make my brain better, stronger, faster, more educated so that I can go do hard work. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Using your brain, go do hard work, make yourself some money, make yourself some money (laughs) and let's create opportunity Mm -hmm. for each other. And so that's the power beacon crew encouraged that. And then whenever I was at Globe Street in Park City, whenever I was sitting there, I knew that the GDP numbers were going to come in low the next day and that we would officially be in a recession. I know everybody disagrees because of other indicators. I would say they're lagging indicators. So there you go. But when those numbers came out and I was right, I said, oh, my gosh, there are 300 women sitting in this room that are phenomenal at what they do. They are powerhouses. They have proven it for decades how good they are. I want to invest with them. I want to invest with them. So flying back from Beth Azor's event, um, I got time to spend with Debbie Ashland. And she is out of Tallahassee, Tallahassee, Florida. The woman did 49 leases last year. 49. I've never done that. So what I know for sure, she knows leasing and she knows Tallahassee, right? I spent a day with her talking about it. And I, by the end of it, well, really about an hour into it, I said, woman, we've got to find something. You find it in Tallahassee that is vacant, that you know you can lease. I couldn't buy in Tallahassee without her. Could not mm-hmm. do it. But I can with her. And she said, but I don't know all the banking stuff, all that. I said, but I do. I don't know Tallahassee. You do. I know all the banking stuff. Go find the building. And wherever you find it, you call me. Let's do it. Because here's what I know. When she puts her money in that project, she will keep it leased. Yeah. She will keep it leased because we are hard workers. We don't want to lose money. And all these years, we've been worrying about our clients' money. Why yeah. don't we worry about our own? Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh my gosh, I'm so deep in thought about that. I, I love that you are I'm I'm impressed that you are stretching yourself to a market that you you aren't boots on the ground. That's a big that's a big jump for you, I think. And that's you know, growth for you. It's enormous for me, but that's what I realized sitting in that, you know, conference. These people, these women are wicked smart. Yeah. Wicked smart. I want to latch on to that intelligence, that market knowledge, the demographics that they know, their um, lane. Um, Because I have another friend in, I want to say Orlando, I'm not sure that's right, Jessica, and she's an industrial specialist. I'm not an industrial girl. So that would be out of my market and out of my lane. Mm. But she's a hustler. 
And if she's got her money in it, it will stay leased. And when the day comes to sell it, she will tell me, delete, it's time to sell it. We've got an offer. This is what it is. You're not going to get high, whatever her reasons are. So it actually takes a lot of weight off of me. Oh, that's a good point. It that's does. A good point. I want to pick your brain a little bit about some of the commercial real estate, like industry events, because you mentioned Globe Street, you mentioned CREI, and that seems to be kind of a, a moment where you either meet certain people or it sparks an interest. Are there certain industry events that you have found to be more fruitful for you, either in thought or in practice, either way? And and do you use industry events to, like, how do you use industry events is a better way I should say that. Okay. <clears throat> I knew right off the bat, whenever I started in 2012, people have to know who you are or they will not answer your phone. Um, especially, I was in my 30s, I'm a blonde woman, right? Why? They would never dream that I have the capability that I do have by my appearance and my age. That's it's that simple. So I got very active, very fast. CCIM, crew, ULI. Um, here in Texas, we have Central Texas Commercial Association of Realtors. Okay, so instead of our commercial brokers having to join the local board, Austin Board of Realtors, which is 14,000 residential agents, we have a Central Texas board that's commercial only, and we're over 26 counties. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it's it, education is fantastic, networking is fantastic. Um, I was on the board within six months of joining, and I finished as president in 2019. Amazing. So everybody knows my name. It was a yeah. lot of work. It was a, to be clear, a lot of work. But there are very few people in Austin, Texas, in my commercial real estate, even development world, that have not heard my name. Okay? So I don't need them to know me personally, but if they know my name, that's significant. Even better, if they know my reputation. So, the building I bought on South Lamar, <clears throat> I put in the offer through a Michigan broker. Turns out it's an Austin, Texas owner. Didn't know that. Don't know why you went with a Michigan owner, uh, Michigan brokerage. I have my, I suspect, but that's fine. It doesn't matter. Luckily, when that person who is a heavy hitter in Austin, Texas, commercial brokerage and development saw my name, he said, yep, she'll close this. I'll go under contract. Right. So that's awesome. It, it's huge, but it's yeah. a decade of work and showing up at crew and showing up at CCIM and leading the board at CT car um, that people know my name. They know my brand. They know that. I am very clear about this. I am who I am. And I always tell this to sellers and brokers. If I want to buy your building, this is going to be the easiest closing you've ever had. And I will tell you truthfully if I don't want to buy it. <laughs> yeah. And then I'll go, nope, not for me. And they'll try to call me and talk me into it. And I'm like, well, no, I mean, I, I know a no. You don't need to talk me into that. So get involved, especially as women. And here's an enormous opportunity for us. If I'm at a CCIM luncheon, there's only 20 out of 100 that are women. I naturally stand out. Yeah. Just because I'm a woman. Use it as an opportunity. We we like to look at the numbers and go, we're not as far as we should be. Okay, but there's not as much competition in the rooms. 
Isn't that amazing? So Globe Street, I was invited to be on a panel. I met amazing women there. I mean, yeah. that was really phenomenal. Um, CREI Summit. So it is a movement that really was started by Duke Long. So we always have to give um, the OG his credit. But Ken Ashley took it over in 2020, and he has just, you know, it's kaboom, right? He took what Duke Long had done and built on it, but it's exploded. Um, what it really is, is commercial real estate brokers, people that have been in this industry, some of us a year, some of us 30 years, that are active on social media, which is rare for our industry. Right. There's just not that many of us. Uh, most people in our industry have seen social media as a waste of time or not necessary to do their business, right? Because rarely, I'd say, if ever, have I posted a building for sale on LinkedIn and a buyer reached out and said, I'll take it. That doesn't happen. So most brokers uh, do not see the significance and they see it as, you know, that would take a lot of time and I don't see the return on investment. Fair enough. Um, I saw social media coming at us in 2010. And so I got active on social media with Twitter, with Facebook. Uh, that Those were the two. Twitter and Facebook were the... the and LinkedIn. The, I think you're pretty active on LinkedIn. I'm very active now. But I'm oh, now. Yeah. 2010. Yes. And everybody thought... Not only did they think I was crazy, my husband was very upset because we civil construction company. He's like, don't you put that out there on social media. And I'm like, too late. It's already out there. <laughs> And here was the most significant thing that happened. And I don't know if it happened in the same degree today, but I put pictures of our, you know, backhoes and excavators and, and a build and a, a bridge under construction out on all of these things. He was very upset. He's like, this is it's not appropriate for what we do. And to be fair, I'm never allowed to post anything about his job sites because OSHA. So you will never see an active job site. You will only see a job completely done. Um, he would be out at a job site and a text dot inspector would be like, you know, Mr. Becker, it's so nice to meet you. And they're like, you know, you're everywhere. And he said, what? And he's like, we looked you up because of course, in 2010, 2011, we were very new in text dot road and bridge repair. So everybody Googles. And pages and pages and pages would come up as if we were a large company. So within about two months, my husband was like, you did a really good job. And since then, I said, OK, I'm going to stick with the social media. I'm going to do it. It's not my top priority. It's not the first thing I do every day. Um, but it has morphed into a people know who I am, you know, even if I haven't met them. And a really big thing for me these days, and I don't know if this would be the case if I were, you know, two years into my career. However, you know, the sooner you start, the better. What I've really done on social media today is I want you to know who I am when you Google me. And if you don't like who I am, don't call. Because I'm not good for I love that. I am not the best to work with. Again, multifamily. I get calls. I need to buy a multifamily project. I'm not your girl. 
I don't do it. I wouldn't own it. Number one, I wouldn't own multifamily, so I'm never going to be an expert in it because I don't want to deal with residential tenants. So people call me and I say, here's three amazing brokers. I pass them on, yeah. right? I'm not in the mindset that I was probably in the beginning where I need every client that comes in to like me and stay with me and me prove myself. I want them to self-weed themselves out. You should already know who I am. And if I got to prove myself, okay, five minutes. If, if you need me to jump through hoops, go call another broker that's got that kind of time. But I don't. But if you look at everything that's online about me, people come to me because they need to do a 1031 and they're out of time. Or they want to buy a building instead of leasing. And they know I know how to do that. And if you're my client, I will handhold you, but this is what I do. If I give you three lenders, I make that connection on my email and those lenders are going to talk to you where they probably wouldn't take your call or take a while to get back to you. But the fact that I made the introduction, I don't handhold more than that. Sure. And, you know, I don't, I did in the past and I found it to be an enormous use of my time and it was incredibly undervalued by the clients. Mm, interesting. That's a really good differentiator. It's, it's, it's understanding the value you bring. And if it's not the valued part of the, you know, relationship, then don't do it. Don't do it. Yeah. It, and that is a lot of, you know, like development or you know, buying an old building and redeveloping it. I don't do it for clients. I've done it for one client and I do adore them. Um, but I mean, I was six months into it whenever I realized I should not have done this because I'm not an hourly wage person. Right. I mean, and I, it was yeah. a consulting fee, but the knowledge that I brought was decades of experience that you literally can't pay for. Can't pay for it. So um, you get that if you're my client, but it's it's in go do this. Don't ask questions. If I tell you to use this engineer, just go do it. Don't say, well, what do you think of this engineer? I didn't. Did I say their name? <laughs> I love that you are confident in your style and that, you know, by putting yourself out there on social, the way you want people to perceive you, it kind of lets them know this is how I am. And if you, this isn't your cup of tea, then go get a cup of coffee. Exactly. Go to another broker. There's amazing girls yeah. out there. Yes. Um, Delay, I want to open up and just see if in our last few minutes, if anybody had any questions, um, what an amazing conversation. Thank you so much for being so open and transparent and helpful about how you really kind of started out and, um, you know, helping people understand how they can really invest in their own businesses. Is there anyone that had any questions? I, I will tell you, Robin, who helped lead us on the call. Um, she said she saw that building um, at Lamar on Lamar because she's actually scoping out the Austin area. So. Who was that, Robin? Robin. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I have a question. Um, okay, let's see. From Denise. Hey, Denise. I have a client um, who needs to do a 1031 exchange budget two and a half million. It would be nice to connect out of this meeting. That would be awesome. Yeah, if I can put your. Um, do you want me to put your email and phone number in the chat? Absolutely. Put it all cool. in there. Awesome. We will do that. Thanks, Denise. If not, if for some reason this closes out before I can text uh, or chat it in, I'll send you an email. Um, okay. Uh, Sarah Russ is asking, how do you find out what your niche is? How did you find out what your niche was? That's a great question. Okay. So uh, I, hmm. 
I give all the glory to God. I, I'm a very faithful woman. I do not push my faith on people, but I always want to make sure that I do not take all the credit. Uh, that would be very erroneous. I have been very blessed. I don't call it luck. I mean, blessings galore. What happened? My niche was what I knew. We owned this building. I'm sitting in the building that we bought in 2006. It's 100 years old, and it is three blocks to downtown Austin. To be clear, in 2006, no one would drive over here. This was a very rough area. At the time, perception. I'm not going to actually say it was, but it was perceived. So we bought it. There were no tenants. So we put our offices in it. So guess where I was every day? I was in East Austin. Um, when I met my husband, he actually lived in East Austin. My first job was in East Austin. So I, I knew the territory and I always look for opportunities, like really dig into opportunities. And I said, I know East Austin better than, I'm not going to say better than everybody. That would be gross, you know, misstatement there. But I knew it better than most every commercial broker. And there were no commercial brokers over here. Zero. All the commercial brokers were downtown and Westlake, right? Because they wanted their offices where they were. That's also where you could get rent. Why would you be a commercial broker in, in East Austin when nobody's buying, nobody's leasing? So that was my opportunity. Again, I used my, my building as my test case. Yeah. I put a sign on the side of it or a lease. And I took all the calls and I toured the property. And I got us tenants and I said, okay, I took an opportunity. I figured it out. I was right and I'll do it again. And I just, again, it's not home runs. It is just um, get, on base. Yeah. get on base. That's it. So um, I love old buildings that are office retail. So that's, that's the niche I found. That's what I would say to anybody is find your lane in what you know, what you know. If you love industrial and you have been following the kaboom of industrial that's going on in the United States and you've been following FedEx and Amazon, they're up and down of what space they're going to need and you just really are intrigued by it, study it again and I, I keep using LoopNet because all of us can get on there's the free version yeah um, there's CoStar right if you have the CoStar subscription go to CoStar <laughs> <laughs> go to Craxy go to Total Commercial whatever your jam is um study it study those rates and I mean study it every day because you will notice whenever industrial rates go from 11 to 12 Mm. square foot you'll sense it yeah and then you'll be reading the news and then you see it inch up to 13 dollars a square foot and you're like huh now my thing is always is it really so i'm watching to see if that gets leased um this is where i really utilize my organizations crew ccim ct car i go to probably two to four property exchanges in austin texas in person a month so I'm sitting in the room with my broker friends and I will say to somebody in industrial, you know, I see that the rents are inching up from, you know, like 11 to 12. What do you think's going on? Mm. Ask around. Now they may say that's right. And I know they're wrong. Right. 
but you ask around. Just because you get an entire picture of everybody going, rates are going up. Here's what I know. So I to buy my Lamar building, I sold a 20,000 square foot warehouse. Uh, we bought it while it was under construction. I tenanted it. And what I know is in Austin, Texas, 60 million square feet of industrial is under development and or planned. And that means we might have, we'll have a lot of space. Right mm. now, industrial is a 2% vacancy in Austin. But, you know, if it goes to 10% vacancy, still a great market. But my rent's probably going to go down. Mm. Right. So if you want to select a niche, study it study it, study what people are saying, because a lot of times that's where the opportunity is. And I say this specifically because I will, I'm going to be preaching this until everybody finally understands we're in a recession, we're in a recession, we're in a recession. But nine times out of 10, nine people out of 10 will disagree with me. And they'll say, oh, but the unemployment numbers, oh, but this and that. And I'm like, lagging indicators, number one, and unemployment numbers, if you I feel are not accurate because there's a whole lot of people, my stepson is one of them, that's not in the market to get a job. Mm. He's in the gig economy. They're not being calculated. Now, it is true that we have a worker shortage because he doesn't want to be in the... <laughs> but I don't feel like the number is really that accurate. Yeah. It's especially whenever inflation is out of control, they've gotten it down a little bit. But but to be sure, but to be fair, inflation numbers, um, it's a big bucket of stuff that economics, you know, puts together and they determine. And that's all great. It's, you know, it's the best indicator we've got coupled with all the other indicators. It's a good thing that we have. But here is what I know today. My husband has two tractors at our farm and he buys a battery once a year for each of them. He went to AutoZone to buy batteries and for the last five years, each battery has been $100, okay? And for a tractor, John Deere tractor, which means our farmers, our, our construction guys, they are having to buy these. This yep. is something that's frivolous, like a Prada purse. Sure. Um, my husband goes and the guy rings him up and he's like, Mr. Becker, because he knows him, I'm, I'm so embarrassed to tell you this. He's like, they're 288 apiece. Wow. From 100 to 288. And my husband goes, I mean, wow, right? And we've seen things go up. So he, you know, he's like, I got to have the batteries. And, but he gets to talking to him because my husband and I are big talkers and we like to hear from all sects of the society what's going on in their world. And what the guy said, he's like, it's actually shocking Battery prices here have gone up four times in the last 30 days. Wow. Wow. So inflation numbers may have come down a little bit, and I sure hope that we're getting a, a, a hold on it. But I, I'm not confident. Yeah. There's a lot of other indicators that real people have to pay for that are out of control high. For sure. Um, Lily, I'm going to I have I had one more question about just the recession is it an opportunity or not but we are at time so i want to be a little cognizant that it's 102 and i don't want to use your time or anyone else's time too much but uh i guess like quick sound bite if you wanted i don't want to leave that unanswered because i i have my own feelings about it and i'm sure you do too and i'm happy here's the best sound bite i can give you uh people get rich when things are going up 
people get wealthy when things are going down. This is the best opportunity. Get very educated, be looking every day. There's going to be opportunities. I project mid 2023 is whenever there will be some blood in the water. I I love I love that. I was I, I same sentiment actually. Is, is this is where there's a lot of opportunity for sure. Um, okay, well, I want to wrap up with just recapping some of my big learnings and let me know if I got this right from from my perspective. But to me, the big the big three things that I have from our conversation is, you know, we are we women in commercial real estate are really driven to be right. And so trust your gut or trust your instinct, but also, you know, trust the amount of research that you are likely doing. If that is not what you started doing yet, I mean, that's that's definitely a key takeaway for me too. So it's, we're driven to be right, study, study the heck out of it is that you feel either passionate about or that you've, you've really spent some time in. And then uh, the other thing that I thought was a great um, great point is just, and you said that in regards to if you're the only woman in the room, that could be a great benefit because then everyone can know your name. Or on social media, if there's not that many people there, you know, that gives you an opportunity to be the first one. On East Austin, nobody was there and you stood out. So it's that concept of putting yourself out there to stand out and be okay with being the only one. So that is your special thing. Um, and just let people know your name. Yes. I mean, I think that wraps it up. <laughs> Thank you so much for this incredibly rich conversation. If any of you have found this conversation interesting and helpful, please mark your calendars for part three of this three-part series. That'll be on Wednesday, November 9 at 3.30 p.m. Eastern. Don't forget to join the What Moves Her movement by going to womenofcbc.com. Anybody can join. You don't have to be from Cobalt Banker Commercial to join. And um, click to, to the Stay Involved tab to stay connected. Go on LinkedIn, connect with Dali. I put her contact information in this chat. But thank you so much. And uh, for anybody that missed this, this I, I hope that you enjoy the recording because what an amazing conversation. Thank you so much for your time. Absolutely. Anytime. You thank can have an hour anytime. Thank you so much. Well, we'll chat soon. And thank you, everybody. Have a great day.